We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Matt Friedman makes his triumphant return to Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to the Roto-Viz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Roto-Viz. And we are super pumped to bring back a man of the people, the chief strategy officer at the FTN Network, COO at Bets Media, and an advisor at Top Prop Sports. And I'll add in one hell of a waffle eater, and that is Mr. Matthew Friedman. Matt, what is going on? How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for that warm introduction. And I gotta say, the intro music it just uh, hits different than it, it used to. Um, but uh, it's it's great being back on the show. Really looking forward to the football season. And hey, I mean, guys, I don't know if you know, the fantasy douche has returned. I mean, how about that? That's great news for everybody, right? So uh, you know, high fives all around. <laughs> all right. So I'll I'll give the background here. As everybody listening to this show knows, way back in the day around 2013 when Rotoviz got up and started, the key component there was Frank DuPont, the fantasy douche. It seems that on Twitter, Matt, somebody is trying to make a comeback, make a name for themselves via using the old uh, picture, his you know avatar, and yeah. making a fake Twitter name. The most confusing part about this, though, to me was what was this person's endgame? Like, what were they trying to do? I, I don't know. The, so he is using, instead of the fantasy douche handle, which is being squatted upon by John Solis, true hero, uh, he's using the handle fantasy douche underscore, which is like, okay, that's just, that's not a great handle. But he, he actually bought fantasy douche domain, right? Fantasy douche.com. And the way he's spun it is, well, hey, I bought this brand and I was going to sort of resurrect this brand. It's like, first of all, you didn't buy the brand. You bought a domain. Uh, and second of all, you can say you're like paying homage to uh, you know Frank DuPont. But that's not really the case. And by the way, I don't refer to this guy as like the fake fantasy dude. She's an imposter. I refer to him as Anastasia. So Anastasia has uh, taken it upon himself to revive the fantasy douche brand, to, to pay homage to it. But 
it's, it's total BS because one, he doesn't even follow any Rotoviz writers. It's like if you actually cared about like the Frank DuPont legacy, Rotoviz is the fantasy douche legacy. And he doesn't even follow Rotoviz, doesn't follow Sean Siegel, doesn't follow you guys. It's, it's like, what are we doing here? So, Curtis, I know that you're a man, uh, a man interested in branding, uh, you know, in all things related to that. <laughs> Do you think this is a sound strategy for somebody trying to make their name in the business? Well, they say all publicity is good publicity. And uh, th- we've already talked way more about this guy than he deserves. I think we should just get into the episode. All right. That might be well, fair. Well, but- we, we can't drag him for another five minutes. Curtis, I, I expect him more. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Wait, I mean, Matt, what are you, Fantasy Mansion already? Like, try to start off with a soliloquy here, dragging this guy? Come on. This is what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> All right. So first, though, Matt, I, I want you to give us a quick update. You have moved states. You have now moved companies. You also did something really cool. Uh, where you ate a ton of waffles. I want to hear a little bit about that, the cause that you did all of that for. Just give us the, the you know, the quick highlights. No, I'm, I'm going to take up the entire show by talking to you about waffles. And first of all, it's, I mean, it's just, it's another Sunday really. But uh, so obviously people know that um, there's the Waffle House challenge where if someone loses a fantasy league, uh, he or she, uh, you know, based on whatever rules have been set up ahead of time, has to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House minus the number of waffles you eat. So if you're there, you know, 20 hours, you eat four waffles, then you've fulfilled the Waffle House challenge. So this has gone viral a couple of times. Uh, in June, I wrote a thread uh, saying, you know, breaking down what I thought was the optimal way to try to do the Waffle House challenge. Uh, of course, in a very skin in the game type of way, uh, I, you know, think that if you're going to put these ideas out there, you should be willing to practice what you preach. So I said, of course, I'm not just going to do it for no reason, but I said, if uh, the thread gets a thousand retweets, then I would be willing to do it. So it got a thousand retweets. And then at that point, it's like, all right, well, you know, this kind of sucks. I'm going to have to eat a whole bunch of waffles or sit in Waffle House for a long time. Uh, probably both. And it ended up being both. But, uh, you know, if this is going to happen, Maybe I can do some good for it. So uh, raised some money. And by the way, Rotoviz, one of the, uh, the sites that donated a subscription. Appreciate that. There were a lot of sites across the industry that donated subscriptions, which I could give away to people who donated to Cook Children's Hospital, which was the, the philanthropy that I decided to raise money for uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, you know, where I was born and raised. So I was very happy to, uh, to be able to give back something to uh, a hometown institution that does a lot of good there. And I did the Waffle House Challenge in Burleson, Texas, my hometown Waffle House, uh, you know, like three miles from my parents' house uh, where I was, you know, taken back home after being born. My parents still live in that house. So uh, it was, and it was the first time I got to see my parents for a couple of years, you know, because of, of the pandemic. So it was, it was a good time all around, uh, minus what happened after I ate all the waffles, which we can just skip over that. Oh God. All right. <laughs> we, will, <laughs> we will breeze on past that. I had a, I, I, I have a ton of follow-ups in my mind, but I think people would rather hear about some fantasy football content here. I know that you were a huge fan of Cam Akers. We, you know, we talked about him a ton in the past heading into this season. You were a big fan. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to see him in action this year. Daryl Henderson, the backup. My question is, if you were so excited about Akers, how much of that enthusiasm has translated to Henderson? 
some of it. I mean, today, before we recorded this, there was news that uh, Daryl Henderson had an injury. It doesn't seem as if it's going to be that serious, but, you know, that's something to monitor. He has battled injury concerns over the past couple of seasons. I'm not as bullish on him in part because he just he didn't have the prospect sexiness, we'll say, that Cam Akers had when he entered the league. But, you know, at the same time now, he's not having to compete with a Cam Akers type of talent. He's competing with two guys who, you know, really just seem like Jags. So he is intriguing. I'm just a little uncertain about the health, but his ADP, especially in your casual leagues, your friends and family type of leagues, he's going way too late. Uh, in sharper leagues, you know, the best ball leagues that have been going for a while, I think his ADP makes sense. I think he's priced where he should be. But, you know, for people who are playing in casual leagues, I think he's a great target. Yeah, and Curtis, I think that's more or less where we've been do you have any quick adjustment kind of on your thoughts or, you know, did, did anything Matt said kind of jog your mind there? Yeah, I think, um, I think I, I, for different reasons, I saw them as pretty equivalent prospects. Obviously the big check mark in Cam Akers favor, uh, is the power five, you know, pedigree, the level of competition. Um, I mean, that's a draft capital. Um, but, but I really agree, you know, with Matt's take that, what's left in the in the running back room is just so unimpressive. I mean, we're basically back to a situation like we had at, during the peak Todd Gurley year, off from a Gurley level talent to Malcolm Brown. The fall-offs probably, even though Gurley was, you know, I mean, he was, I'll stop short of generational, but he was one of the better uh, running back prospects of the last decade. Uh, the drop-off from him to Malcolm Brown might be about the same as the drop-off from Daryl Henderson to, uh, you know, Jake Funk or Xavier Jones. And so, you know, we've seen McVay lean heavily on a bell cow when there's been that type of talent disparity. So um, I want to clarify a couple of things. So one, you know, the injury, this isn't like a soft tissue, uh, lower body injury that, you know, or even like an ankle, we're talking about a thumb. We don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, but this isn't something where, you know, it's a hammy and we need to be concerned about a recurrence. We just need to hope that you avoid surgery. So, uh, you know, assuming that, you know, he's out there week one. Um, and I don't want to give the entire article away, but I dropped uh, one of my new series that I drop every year, must draft running backs uh, for 2021. Part one was only about one back and it was about Daryl Henderson. I actually think um, because of the upside he has in, in a McVay offense and what should be a, a much improved Rams uh, offensive attack with, with Matthew Stafford, with Deshaun Jackson, with Tutu Atwell, um, I, I mean, I, this, this team is on the come and I think Daryl Henderson's the most important player in the top 50 of even sharp drafts right now, because if he does get the type of touch share that, that girl had, and, and if he produces like he has the very few times he's had bell cow work, he's only done, had it in three games in his career. Um, you know, using our world famous game splits app, we, we find that he has three games with 15 uh, rushing attempts or more. You know, he pays for 270 PPR. Um, it's hard to extrapolate three games to a full season, obviously. Um, and we can't put too much stock in that. But he looks like more than a plotter, like more than a volume-based plotter. And he should get all the volume. So I, like the question that I found myself asking over the last week or two is, what's really the separation between or, or even the justification in, in drafting J.K. Dobbins over Daryl Henderson? Like what's the relative upside of those two players? Um, why isn't Henderson's upside equal to Clyde Edwards, Elaire, 
or Joe Mixon or those end of round two backs. It really is. But we have this discount there where we can still take a high powered wide receiver in round two or three and come back back with the Henderson hammer in round four. So I, I think he's a really, really interesting, you know, perhaps pivotal player uh, for fantasy in the final week leading up to the season. And this thumb nonsense could really even make him even more of a value. So uh, that's where I stand, Dave. I, I think he's super important to fantasy in 2021. You know, one thing to to add in there, and uh, I mean, you, you sold me. I th- I'm thinking about this in terms of what would have happened last year if Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown were both out of the equation. Like, people would have been going crazy over yeah. Daryl Henderson. Like, what has really changed? That, that offense is better. As you said, like, everything surrounding the situation is now better. Uh, so yeah, we should probably be pretty enthusiastic about Daryl Henderson. And I, I agree with the the comparison thinking of the other running backs in that range, JK Dobbins. Yeah. I would rather have Daryl Henderson pretty easily. Nice. All right. Quick housekeeping item. Last week, we gave away a free sub. The winner of that was an individual named Jeff. Jeff, I'm going to be emailing you tomorrow or when you listen to this, it might even be the same day. All right, glad that we got that out of the way. Moving along here, Matt, I have been irrationally high on Jared Cook. I know that Curtis has been a fan too, per not, you know, perhaps not as high as I, as I have been on Cook. Do you view the backup, uh, Donald Parham, as a threat to Cook finishing as a tight end one? And how outrageous would, would me viewing Jared Cook as a potential top six tight end be? Ooh, top six. That is that is spicy. But I'm with you on low end tight end one. Yep. And I know that Donald Parham, uh, who I mean, by the way, was fantastic in the uh, XFL. Loved him in the XFL. It's it's a different game, you know. Uh, I I do not think that he is sufficient competition at this point to scare us from taking Jared Cook as the what is it like tight end. 25 tight end 20 maybe i mean he is really being discounted in drafts right now pretty much to the point where he's free and he has experience in uh that offensive scheme with uh, coordinator joe lombardi uh if we just sort of average what he's done the past four seasons that really slots him in easily as a low end tight end one i kind of don't know why we wouldn't just kind of just project him for something pretty close to what he's done the past four years. Uh, He's in an ascending offense, which does not have a real, a true locked in number three receiver. So I think he has a pretty good chance of kind of seizing that de facto job is something of a a slot tight end kind of receiver hybrid. Um, Yeah. I, I like him. I have an article at FTN talking about upside tight ends. And although it might seem uh, unconventional, unorthodox to think of Jared Cook as an upside player at his ADP. I think he absolutely is an upside player. So I, I'm with you. Top six feels rich. Like, uh, like guys would have to really disappoint for him to be top six. But, uh, you know, really, what's the difference between the tight end six and the tight end 12? Almost nothing. So th- there's a shot there. Yeah. And, you know, my thesis hasn't been that he's going to necessarily finish inside the top six, but it, like, as you pointed out, it's wild, the disparity between what we could see, what seems likely and where the market is valuing him currently going as the tight end 19 in FFPC uh, redraft leagues. 
Curtis, I'm actually going to float this out to you, then see if Matt has a differing take and kind of get your guys' opinions on this. I always find it interesting. Feels like each season heading into the year, kind of there's a narrative that develops, be it some years it might have been an argument about zero running back or an argument about in a certain year, you need to draft a quarterback prior to X round, you know, what have you. Do you think that there's been a narrative to the offseason? If so, do you have thoughts on it? Or if you haven't, uh, you know, really identified something that feel free to kick it over to Friedman. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, there's not really like an overarching theme that comes immediately to top of mind, but I've also been trying to really focus on our content uh, promoting our content. So I've mostly been reading, you know, our team stuff uh, for the most part. And then a few other key accounts, obviously, uh, that, that I follow on social media. And then keeping my head down and drafting. I mean, I've been drafting more this year than I have in either of the, the previous two. Um, and so, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to fade the noise a little bit there. Uh, so, you know, Matthew, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you've identified a theme uh, that'll, that'll spark some sort of uh, creative input for me here. That was a fantastic troll job there, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I could say like, uh, I, I've been too busy trying to run a company to uh, identify it. No, but um, I, I do think actually that there is uh, a narrative that to me has kind of stood out and it's sort of this middle ground between 
you know, I, I wouldn't say like zero RB zealots on one side and robust RB zealots on the other side. But I feel like this, and there are always sort of these two camps, but I feel like the distinction between the two strategies has really come to the forefront this year. And it seems like a lot of people who in previous years would have been really strong zero RB or really strong robust RB have kind of met in this middle ground and been like, okay, I'm cool with anchor RB or I'm cool with hero RB, where it's like, I want to take one guy in the first two to four rounds, like my one running back that I can really build around and then hit the other positions. So whereas previously, I think a whole bunch of people would have been like, no, 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 I need to have like three running backs within my first five rounds. I think now some of those people are coming around to the idea of the hero build where you get your one guy and then you can address the running back position a little bit later in the draft. So to me, that feels like kind of the narrative like this modified zero RB approach that feels like the narrative of this off season. Yeah, I do. I do feel that expanding in popularity. Um, I, I find myself kind of fitting the description uh, that you were talking about uh, just a few moments ago where it's almost coming to the middle and it almost depends on where you draw your draft position. Because if you draw the one one or the one Oh two, I mean, I typically have been a person that would be, Hey, I'm going to be the one elite, the anchor hero, whatever term you want to use, I'm going to draft that one running back. Then I'm going to come back after I'm flush a wide receiver. But when you can start like Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin cook, and then follow it up with Clyde Edwards, Hilaire or, or Joe Mixon or somebody like that in round two, and then still get Justin Jefferson or AJ Brown at the top of the third. I mean, and that combination is, is very doable, even in sharp drafts, like the FFPC main event, it's really hard not to be tempted by that. Uh, especially with all of the wide receiver values that we continue to see, you know, through what we've, you know, traditionally called, you know, like the running back dead zone, uh, you know, rounds three through six, rounds three through seven, however you want to define that. I can start with, you know, two top 14 running backs and then follow that up with four of maybe my top 25 wide receivers. It's just really tempting. And I, that's not something I would have necessarily considered in the past. I think I would have still forced the one early uh, RB strategy, but I'm finding myself being a lot more flexible just, you know, with some of the specific players available at ADP. So, I mean, Dave, anything that matter I'm saying there, uh, strike a chord with you, or was there a narrative that you were hoping that we would bring up that we failed to do? No, there actually wasn't. Um, but I do think that what, what both of you said makes sense. And I also liked the point that you raised Curtis about with the way that you're able to construct teams this year, even leading off with two running backs and then flipping to wide receiver thereafter. I think it makes a great situation for people that have been interested in perhaps starting to do a zero running back type of build, but haven't really wanted to fully commit. This is a really good year to try it out. Now you mentioned Clyde Edwards, Alaire, uh, who, I actually, Matt, this year have found myself much higher on than I did last year. I think that there's a built-in discount. I think when I look at the role that he's expected to have, it looks pretty secure to me. Obviously, terrific offense. So he's actually, in terms of running backs for me, going to be one of my highest exposure running backs. Give me your thoughts on him quickly. And then if there are any players that you have that, or that you expect you'll have real high exposure to this year that our listeners might be surprised to hear about. 
I'm with you on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, you know, with with Curtis there, if he's available at the uh, the end of round two, love him there. Uh, I would even love him in the middle of round two. Uh, Nelson Sousa, who's uh, you know one of the best high stakes players in the injury I, uh, in the industry. I know that he is pretty high on Clyde Edwards-Alaire this year. Um, for me, one of my higher exposure running backs is a guy going much later. I don't feel great about it, though. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like I'd like your feedback on it, Dave, because he's a patriot. So that automatically makes me a little bit scared. And it's yep. it's Damian Harris. So it's like, oh, of course, Matt likes the, uh, the running back who played at Alabama. Uh, of course, how original. But um, I, I think he flashed last year. What we've seen in the preseason is that he's – worked pretty strongly with the starters. Uh, I think he has underappreciated pass catching ability, which we haven't seen yet, but um, you know, based on what he was able to do in college, I believe he has that skill set. And Cam Newton, I mean, just gobbled up touches inside the five yard line this year. And if a situation ever comes where Cam Newton is not the starter, uh, I think we could see, a run-based offense that funnels primarily through Damian Harris with him getting the goal line touches. And to me, that makes him really attractive as a guy who's, you know, going outside of the top 30 running backs. So I do have a pretty decent amount of exposure to him. It does make me nervous because I don't have in a lot of my leagues, I don't have great running back depth, which means he's kind of my number two guy. Uh, and if it doesn't work out with him, then that's probably not going to be good for me overall. So, but that's, that's where I am. I I'm on Damian Harris for better or for worse. Well, my initial thoughts of that would be that I'm expecting the Patriots to have a very efficient run game this year. I think that we're already starting to see that manifest in these preseason games where there's going to be a lot of focus on Ramondre Stevenson, given some of the runs that we saw him have. I thought, coming into the season that Stevenson was a decent back. And my stance would still be that a lot of what you're seeing him be able to do rides on the coattails of the Patriots offensive line being pretty strong this year, them being able to do a scheme in a way that's going to put these running backs in a position to make plays. I would say that I still think like you said, given what we've seen so far in camp, Harris is going to be running with the ones it's kind of his lot, his job to lose, but we still have the issue of, This is a Patriots offense where I'm not convinced, even if Harris is the clearly defined RB1, that we see him every week getting the type of work you would expect on most teams from their RB1. I think at the drop of a hat, things could change, but given the price, it might be okay. Personally, though, the way that I'm playing the New England backfield is to be not overexposed to anybody in my best Paul portfolio, probably like my max would be like 10 to 12% for Harris then maybe somewhere similar on Stevenson. I don't know, Curtis, do you have a, a different read on the situation? Or do you kind of agree with that? Um, I certainly think, I mean, if Damian Harris can remain the one a in the committee all season, and if James white doesn't really have a role kind of like last year, um, he could outperform his position ADP. I mean, I think he's probably, a, I think he's appropriately priced um, given the uncertainty, you know, if Cam Newton does hold on to the job for material uh, portion of the season, you know, we know he's going to steal rushing touchdowns. Um, they also have, you know, Ramondre Stevenson and Sonny Michelle, who are also big body backs that could steal those touches close in. You know, Belichick likes to 
And McDaniels like to mix that up and, you know, have certain roles for, for their backs. I mean, they've been doing it for decades. Um, I think the opportunity cost is a little bit of a problem with Harris. I mean, if I'm selecting Harris and I'm just looking at ADP, you know, I'm probably going to have to pass on Cortland Sutton in favor of Damian Harris. I'm probably going to have to pass on Debo Samuel. This is also an area of the draft where I, I've been targeting quarterback. Uh, I, I like Tom Brady in this range. Uh, I don't mind Ryan Tannehill or an aggressive pick on Jalen Hurts in this range. Uh, he's been falling a little bit in the last week or two, but I think he'll spike back up. Um, you know, so it, it's just difficult. I think it would be very team dependent for me if I found myself in a situation where the wide receiver or the tight end was just always the right pick and uh, all but like one round. Uh, and I find myself staring at Damian Harris at the end of round seven or beginning of round eight. I could see myself pulling the trigger. He just really hasn't been a target for me. Um, so I guess I'm just like lukewarm on the take. I'll have to go back and, and look at it a little bit more closely, but I think right now I would still, all, all things considered, still prefer like Cortland Sutton or Devo Samuel, uh, in that draft range to, uh, Damian Harris. Got I'd like it. to change my answer. Is that, is that possible? I like, <laughs> not that I'm going to, I just wish I could, I wish I'd given a better <laughs> answer because I, I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, in perilous water here. So I do find it interesting though. The concept here that we have with the Cam versus Mac Jones angle and how that relates to the running backs. But on top of that, Matt, I remember last year you made a really compelling case for drafting Cam Newton, for getting excited about him from a fantasy perspective. Given the cloudiness that we have surrounding him this year, are you still viewing him as a target given the fact that Due to the uncertainty, it's really easy to add him to a team. It's interesting. I'm I'm not so uh, bullish on him now. I think he still contains roughly the same upside. Although, like we really saw him do nothing as a passer last year, yep. and part of the upside entering the season last year was you think maybe he could still do something as a passer. He really did nothing, and then there is more uncertainty because instead of going against it was Jared Stidham. Uh, he's going against a first rounder that they just drafted. So I think there's, uh, you know, less certainty, less job certainty that Cam Newton has. So that makes him less attractive. Plus there are just other guys now that I would kind of rather take a look at, you know, Curtis mentioned Jalen hurts. He's really interesting is a guy that you can get later in drafts. Taysom Hill. If he somehow wins the starting job, I mean, he's interesting just because of his rushing ability. And I think there's a chance he really does get the starting job there. So there are other other quarterbacks at this point that I would probably rather take the shot on than Cam Newton. Yeah, perfectly, perfectly fair. Curtis, before we close down and we get some closing thoughts from Matt, um, Cam Newton, Mac Jones, are either of these guys targets for you? No, uh, I'm, I'm just not going to be targeting the, the Patriots offense unless we get word that uh, Johnny Smith is healthy to play maybe by like week three. I think he's still a tight, a later uh, tight end target, like a, a tight end two. Um, if, if I've gone tight end early in the first six, seven rounds, and it's not a situation where I waited and need to double tap in like the ninth, 10th round, Johnny Smith, you know, I, I like in, in rounds 12, 13, 14, depending on how things are going. But that's really the only place I want to go. Um, I, I don't claim to, to really understand what their plan is at running back. Um, if I did, I, I would, and, I, and I also knew that Mac Jones was going to start the whole season. I would probably feel more comfortable uh, targeting one of their backs. And then at, at wide receiver, um, you know, I, I just haven't seen um, enough from a single guy 
as it relates to the quarterback that's going to be tossing the ball. I mean, is it, is it Nelson Aguilar? Um, yeah, you know, he hasn't really flashed at all. Uh, Jacoby Meyer seems to be the target hog. Uh, he's a value, I guess, in like rounds 14, 15, but, but I don't really think he's like even going to do vintage Jarvis Landry stuff in the context of that offense. Um, I, I think there's a vision, uh, with 12 personnel there, assuming they can get Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, uh, healthy enough to play concurrently. So I'm pretty much out on this entire offense. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Friedman, I have to ask you, you something here, right? I remember a while back I asked you, uh, what was a skill that you have or something that you thought that you were very good at that people <laughs> might have been unaware of, you know, like a hidden talent. I believe that your answer was offering life advice. Yeah. I understand that somebody has appointed you to a role of advisor. Is this correct? Yes, that's uh, multiple companies, really. Uh, so chief strategy officer at FTN and then, uh, yeah, uh, a strategy advisor for Top Prop, which is a new DFS platform, which I got to say, like, I, I think it's a cool idea. Uh, what they can do is sync up your leagues from ESPN or Yahoo. Um, and then you can play fantasy contests, kind of daily fantasy contests on Top Prop. Uh, with a, a kind of number of factors. So like you don't have to be playing uh, a person in your league that week to be able to play a top prop contest with them uh, in that given week. So uh, I think it's a, a pretty cool way to just kind of like amplify the competitiveness that you have in your friends and family leagues. And then there's a whole like other segment called the battleground where you can also have other contests there. So it's, it's a pretty cool idea. Um, the guys who are doing it, uh, I think, are really businesslike and approaching it in a smart way. So uh, I'm excited to see what uh, you know, the future holds for it. Uh, and the site launches on September 1st. So you can go sign up now using the promo code Friedman. Yeah. Um, or you, you don't even have to use a promo code. Just, just go and sign up on your own and I don't get any credit for it. But uh, if you want to use the promo code Friedman, uh, this Rotoviz OG would appreciate it. And then they can uh, send you stuff whenever they launch to let you know what you can do to sign up. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. The headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 